Welcome everybody to Hacker Valley Blue, where we get the industry's best and brightest cyber defenders to share their experiences and tips on how you can better defend your assets and networks. This season, I'm gathering some of the very best blue teamers across the field to form my all-star team of defenders who will use their talents against some of the biggest cyber threats that we face today. Join me as I meet with my team, learn about their origins, what drives them, and the pivotal role they play in the world of cyber defense. So without further ado, let's get to it. When it comes to IT and security, we can agree on two things. Complexity is increasing and manual asset inventory approaches no longer cut it. It's time to adapt. And that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius correlates asset data from existing cybersecurity and SaaS solutions to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and, un and automate action, giving you the confidence to control complexity. Sign up for a free walkthrough of the platform at exonius.com slash get a tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash get dash a dash tour. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody watching, this is another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. I'm your host, Davin Jackson, and I thank you for joining. A special shout out to Ron and Chris, again, for allowing me to be the host for this season. The idea for this season is labeled The Defenders. Uh, when I decided to come up with that concept, I thought of like a comic book team, almost like the X-Men, and I wanted to find different people all over cybersecurity, blue team, defense, DFIR, CTI, but I need to have someone who can put all of that together. I have to have a crafty veteran who's seen the game, who's seen the changes, and knows what's coming based on everything that they've seen. And when I came up with the idea for that, there was one person that came to mind and I had to have him on the show. So ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you, Eric Bellardo. Thank you for having me. How you doing, sir? Again, thank you for joining. Um, like I said, I had to find a veteran and you have over 30 years in cybersecurity, especially on the defensive side. Um, so obviously you were like the first choice, but for those who don't know who you are, please give a brief introduction into who you are. Thank you for having me again. Thanks for having me here on Hacker Valley. Um, so my name is Eric Blardo. I've been in, in the industry for this year, 32 years. And I started out my career um, in the University of Massachusetts, where I studied uh, computer science, electrical engineering, well, I started in electrical engineering and turned into computer science. I started my career defending, you know, the VAX VMSs and all the bulletin boards and things of that nature, programming and punch cards, you know, COBOL, um, different things like that. And when I left school, um, I was working with National Geographic in Washington, D.C. After that, joined the military, uh, spent... Uh, almost eight years in the army as a military intelligence uh, analyst um, with uh, service in NATO, Bosnia, Kosovo. And because I was, you know, at that point in time, we didn't have anything called cyber yet in the army. Um, anybody who had computer expertise became the cyber people. So, um, did a lot of the cyber work uh, for NATO at the NC3A in The Hague and uh, left the military in 2000 and spent 
uh, about 20 years in the Washington, D.C. Beltway, working in all the three-letter agencies and civilian government. Um, and then the last 10, 10 or so years, I've been working commercial side of the house, working with critical infrastructure, healthcare, uh, power and energy, and now in the chemical fi- field. Okay, so you've defended it all. So uh, first of all, thank you for your service from one veteran to another. Uh, you know, it's great to see, you know, vets out here making differences and, and making changes out here. Uh, now, in but in your journey from, from college into the military, uh, like you said, before it was even called cyber, uh, did you always know you were going to go on the defensive side um, or... If not, what drew you to blue? Like what what was your calling that you realized like this is this is this is where I belong? Well, before there was a blue, red, green, all that stuff, um, we were all known as information assurance or information security. So it was all about data defense. So we start like my career actually started in what we called certification and accreditation, which now they call GRC. So I started out with doing the you know, rainbow series, the assessment of trusted systems, and that started my career to, you know, the, the security of the systems. At that point in time, we weren't too worried about the attacks that were coming from the outside. We were worried about securing our system, making sure that our systems were secured from the inside, making sure that the pipes were were secured. And, you know, I started doing all the investigation, all the different things to secure the systems. And I fell in love with the investigation of things. So right after, you know, starting with all the different um, trusted audits and trusted analysis, and that's when DoD eighty five hundred and before it was a fifty two hundred um, started. Uh, this is prior to NIST. We were def- kind of defending the systems by securing the systems, and that's how it started. Then I went to the defer side of the house, um, the forensic side of the house. Most most you know detailed was I was doing a lot of the. Um, disk forensics. So what were things that were left in the disks and the initial, you know, starting of the, what we know now as forensics. My career then from there started going into the security operations, the SOCs. And at that point in time, we were just doing things like IDSs and looking at the logs. And at that point in time, we didn't have tools that we now call SIMs or anything like that. It was literally reading the logs to see if there was anything malicious in there. So that then progressed to learning more tools, learning more tactics, learning how to defend some of the early SIMs, some of the early log aggregators, and from there, it my career grew into into blue. Now, I did have experience or, or experiences doing things like application security and um, doing some of the vulnerability assessments and the early penetration testing, um, red teaming, and things of that nature. But 
my heart always gravitated back to the defense side of the house. I want to be the one, you know, I want to be the the one that sees it and alerts. And that was kind of the impetus to me continuing in the security operations blue side and creating you know, what we now call cyber fusion centers. Okay. So uh, I guess my follow-up question would be, uh, since you said you did start off early on doing some of the pen testing and vulnerability assessments, do you think that experience um, helped you become stronger at what you do on the blue team side? And do you still have, with all the with all the years of experience, do you still have that same excitement about defending in, uh, systems and networks? Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> For me, it's a passion. For me, it's, it, you know, you wouldn't be in this industry for three decades if you really didn't like what you were doing. And to me, I hope that anybody watching and anybody that is that is listening can see through the passion in my voice that I still love this stuff. I love defending. I love looking at that. And to answer your question more directly, you've got to learn, if you want to defend well, you've got to learn how the other side works. What are the things that they're going to do and vice versa? If you want to be a good red teamer or pen tester, you've got to learn how the people are defending. What are things that I can go around? What are things that I can, you know, how am I going to get detected? Where are the trip wires? Um, and then on the other side, on the blue side, you've got to know the techniques and tactics of the people that are going to attack you so that you can put better defenses, so that you can put, you know, your cameras in the right place to catch the bad guys coming in. It's one of these things where people talk about blue team and red team and all this stuff. But like you said, the crafty veteran, well, you've got to learn all the different pieces so you can put it together and do your job better. No, I, I agree 100%. Um, I actually, when I first started out, uh, maybe about a year or two into pen testing, um, I had the opportunity to take a DFIR course, and and when I originally took the course, I got so excited that I was like, "Oh, this is what I want to do." But where I was living in the Northeast, uh, you had to be law enforcement or work with law. You you, had, you basically had to be a cop uh, to 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 work in that field. Uh, so I, at that point, my time to do the police academy and all that training had had come and gone. Uh, but uh, I always say that was the best thing that happened to me as a pen tester, because like you said, as a pen tester now, when I'm when I'm in a system, I'm thinking, OK, so if someone were to do an incident response on this, what would they look at? OK, they would probably look for the logs. OK, I need to make sure I do something to avoid the logs or delete the logs or something so I don't get seen that way. Um, and then on the defensive side, as as a defensive person, I'm looking like, okay, I have that experience as a pen tester. What would I do if I were getting into the system? And it's almost like you're playing chess against yourself. So you have to know both both ends. You have to know what your opponent is doing. One of the things that I've noticed is that it's a lot harder to defend these days because of the advancement of attacks, which we'll get into later. Um, but also, there's a lot of, let's call it red tape 
in the way. And that leads to a lot of misconceptions like, oh, you know, blue team doesn't want to patch their stuff or, you know, what what's the issue? They should just be able to fix it. Um, I've heard you in previous interviews say that, you know, there was a time where you could just go in and patch whatever needed to be patched. What what do you think changed over time that made that so hard, which led to the misconception of, you know, not being able to patch systems? Well, this might might be a little controversial because it's different in each company. Um, but the separation of duties that occurred maybe about, I would say about 10, 15 years ago, where the control of the, call it the patching, the maintenance of servers, workstations, or other devices moved out of kind of the security team and into the infrastructure teams. And the introduction of change management boards, which don't get me wrong, they have very good reason to be there so that we don't make changes that somebody else doesn't know. But with all the different processes, it made the process of identifying a vulnerability and remediating that vulnerability a little more, like you say, red tapey. Okay. I'll give you a perfect example. Just this week, I was in a meeting and our vulnerability team identified a slew of vulnerabilities that came out. And we gave it to the infrastructure team to patch. And even though we give them a 30, 60, 90 day to patch criticals, and those things are not being done. And they complain that we're giving them too much work to do. So what ha- what ends up happening is between the vulnerability management teams, the blue team, the uh, identifying vulnerabilities, identifying zero days, identifying any of these, these malware vulnerabilities and threats that are out there, when they get passed into the teams that are doing that, we now have to create tickets and those tickets have to be evaluated and they need to be evaluated by 20 teams and is it going to affect our, our, our production environments or any of these things, the testing. So the meantime to remediate a vulnerability from finding it to patching it, um, I saw a, I saw a uh, statistic that it's taking 86 days on average from the detection of a vulnerability to the time that that server is patched. Jeez. Yeah, um, I've been on teams where we will find things, we will present the findings, we will come up with a proof of concept. I mean, with screenshots, it's almost like color by numbers sometimes. Right. And it's all it always comes off with some teams because not all because I've I've been I've been associated with some really good infrastructure teams and some really good developers and then i've been on some really bad ones they always try to pass the buck or at least that's what it seems right like oh show impact or what were you able to do with it and although we may be an in-house security team or a consultancy we never want to cause you know do something that's going to cause a denial of service situation or Uh, One thing that I learned early on is if you gain access to a server or a file system, just show that you have the capability 
to 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 retrieve the files or remove the files because once you take a file from a client's server and bring it onto your computer it's no longer a penetration test or a vulnerability assessment it officially becomes a breach we want to be mindful of that you know from the red team side a lot of times blue teams or or other teams think we come in to make them look bad and it's like no we just want to show you what can happen and in that protection it almost seems like they're using that against us they're using it to say well you didn't do anything really harmful you just you just found something and wrote it up and we don't want to show we don't want to show maximum impact all the time um and then the other issue is like you said it takes on average almost 90 days to address a ticket and to fix the vulnerability um sometimes we may find it, but we're not the first ones who did. And now because you're sitting on that ticket in those 90 days, someone else can gain access to that system. And then it makes everybody look bad. So, well, let me address a couple of things that you said there. The one, the one is the emotional maturity of that, of that team. So when you see as a blue team, that you're going to have a penetration test or you're going to have a vulnerability assessment or you're going to have some other third-party test your defenses. The emotional maturity of that CISO, director of security operations, or any of the leadership there needs to jump the focus to, that is awesome. Please bring it on because you're going to tell me which doors, which windows might be cracked open. Okay. Which are the ones? Tell me, please go ahead and find an an opening in here. Find a vulnerability that I can work on. Unfortunately, the emotional maturity of some of these teams are like, no, you're going to come make me look bad because I didn't do my job, et cetera, et cetera. Change the focus. We're all one team. This security, I always say it, and you say it as well. Security is a team sport. And this is very important. Now, the other part is being able to have a strong GRC presence as well to be able to track these risks is very important because you get the mommy and daddy situation between red and blue, and they can be the dispassionate third observer, you know, or or observer. And they can say, yeah, this is a risk. This is a risk that we have to address. Unfortunately, you know, with the the teams are overworked right now with this, you know, situation where we're all working remote. Uh, the infrastructure teams are working on so many different things. And then you have the situation where you have the security team saying, look, every week we're finding new vulnerabilities. Every week we're finding new things. Here's the new vulnerability assessment. Here's the new Qualys or Rabbit 7 or, you know, uh, Tenable report. And we've got to do this much of work. And now they see it as, oh my God, it's this much work on top of this much of work. And that's what kind of slows it down. It's great that you mentioned that because I was going to say, yeah, you have to worry about scans, your SAS tools, your DAS tools. What are the logs saying? Because I've talked to different people. Like I talked to Christopher Peacock and, you know, we talked about the differences between red and blue. And he actually has a football coaching background. So he says you have to have you have to know the offense to know the defense and vice versa. Um, But in talking to him, you know, one of the challenges that he talked about was 
you know, having, you know, to look at different tools and different silos and having to go to different teams, like you mentioned, like having to go to the infrastructure team or go here or go there to kind of get what you're looking for and then parse that information out to be, to make sure that it is indeed the, the data that you need. What challenges do you see when, when you have to, you know, defend these systems on a daily basis? Well, there's, there's different challenges from if we start the chain from the outside, okay? And one of the challenges that a lot of companies face is that they don't know what's coming over the horizon. So that cyber threat intelligence factor, okay? What are the things that are going to impact us? And having good cyber threat intelligence to bring in and then take that cyber threat intelligence and then parse it and saying, here's a flood of intelligence that we're getting. But the reality is, why do I care about Oracle vulnerabilities if I don't have Oracle in my environment? Okay. So the next piece or the biggest piece that uh, that is affecting, and, and I don't care which companies it is out there, asset identification. If you do not know what you have, you cannot defend it. Period. Right. So that first uh, piece of learning what you have is important. Look at the lessons learned for Lock4j or Lockforge or however you want to pronounce it. People didn't even know that they had Lock4j in their environment. So knowing from the from the systems, the software, the information that they have, so that they can protect it. So that's number one, because what is that going to do for us? It's going to allow us as a blue team to say, here's some information that's coming out for a new vulnerability. I do have this particular technology. Let's scan the environment to see if we have it and how prevalent it is and then how exposed that is. So it's about putting together a risk matrix of saying, what's the information that's coming at us? What do we have? How exposed am I? And then put a risk so that I can say to that vulnerability management team to say, this is the prioritization of the, of the patches, of the defenses, of anything that we have to start going ahead and saying, these are my more critical systems. I need to patch these immediately. And then be able to communicate that in a risk-based business approach to the business side of the house and say, look, this is a big thing that's happening. This is how it's going to impact your operations. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And I'm not talking about FUD. I'm talking about real numbers. I'm talking, look, this is what log for shell is going to do to this system and it's going to impact you and your productivity is going to go down or your monetary systems are going to go down or, you know, econ systems are going to go down, finance systems are going to go down. Being able to put it into that perspective gives it more priority and that's what's going to, going to help. So there's challenges at each level. Now, the other challenge that we don't talk about is the complementary controls. Sometimes if you don't want to patch or you cannot patch because there's, you know, an issue, your software won't work when you do it on, on your testing environment, then you need to think about complementary controls. And that's something that for the last five, 10 years, I haven't heard very much companies doing. 
if we want to protect this and we cannot patch this or the technology is old or we don't have money to replace that technology, what can we do to segregate that? What can we do to put another wall in front of it? What do we do to put another door in front of it? And, you know, put segregating it, putting it into another VLAN, putting into, you know, putting a firewall in front of it, putting a web application firewall on top of it, or some other complementary control that reduces the risk of that. And that's something that because we've become, even in the blue side, we've become very siloed and they're not talking to each other. And the reality is you find a vulnerability, let's get together and figure out how we isolate that vulnerability, how we either patch it, fix it, or isolate it or protect it in a different way. And that's where we go now to this new concept of cyber fusion team. It's great that you mentioned um, all of those challenges about prioritizing and investigating and finding all the stuff that you have to inventory them, uh, because this season actually is sponsored by Uptics. And if you guys aren't familiar with Uptics, Uptics provides the first unified cloud-native security and analytics platform that enables both endpoint and cloud security from a common solution to enable security professionals to effectively prioritize, investigate, and respond to potential threats across a company's entire attack surface. By unifying visibility in one single tool, security operation analysts and blue teams can focus on one tool set and interface to improve with the productivity and efficiency. So Eric, do you think a tool like Uptix would help alleviate some of those challenges that you just mentioned earlier? Oh yeah, definitely. So one of the challenges that we have is information overload. And tools that create this security analytics and be able to parse the information into different areas like, you know, your cloud workload, your posture management, your EDR response, your insights, your inventory, your audit compliance, these things like that help us make better decisions as a team. And... You know, we talk about all these tools that are over here and you've got your SIM tools, you've got your EDR tools, you've got your vulnerability management tools, all of those create, uh, you know, the word that I hate to use, the single pane of glass, but you end up with seven single pane of glass, right? So it doesn't become a single pane of glass. So having a tool to unify all these metrics help not only the analysts on the ground to see across different silos, but also at a management level for us to have better analytics so that we know where to apply more information or more emphasis in our investigations. There you go. Uh, so thank you for that answer. And again, thank you to Uptix for being the sponsor for this season. If you want more information on Uptix, please go to uptix.com. That is U-P-T-Y-C-S.com. Go check them out. It's a great tool. Highly recommend it. And you'll be glad that I sent you. Tell them I tell them I sent you. So, Eric, I think we've shown so far why in my team you are you would effectively be one of the brains of the operation, so to speak, Um, based on your experience, based on just your knowledge. And like you said, your passion for, for defending things. But. One of the other things that I talk about when it comes to you is your forward thinking, right? Um, your, your ability to, to kind of see what's going on, see that there needs to be a change and take action. And I think teams need that. So first let's start with, you know, your official title, 
uh, officially you are a virtual CISO client security executive. Now that's a lot <laughs> to, that's, that's a lot to put on a business card, but, um, if you can just take a moment, um, and talk about, you know, what exactly, um, does that position entail? Well, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm the, you know, the one that gets the head beat, beat in every time something happens. So that's, you know, we can put that on the card better. What I do is, um, I advise CISOs from different organizations. I sit next to them. I am kind of their technical advisor as a former CISO of organizations and being able to look at this currently in my, like I said, my day job, I manage uh, 24 different sub teams, um, anything from GRC, um, identity and access management, security architecture, security operations, uh, cyber fusion, SOC, vulnerability management. So we have 23 sub teams to include basically every single call it silo or team of a corporate security environment. Um, and I help my client by not only providing the teams, but providing the guidance and the knowledge and supporting their directorates and supporting their, their teams and serve as kind of the chief um, of incident management. So if there's an incident in any of the areas, then, you know, I get called to, to be the incident manager for those in, for those ev uh, events but i also help them build and complete and continue their growth you know in their maturity of each one of those areas um, and that's what i do on you know kind of my day job if you will and it's very interesting because you know the maturity of organizations usually starts with a roadmap and what they want to achieve and building that roadmap over the years, you get to see new technologies and new things that we can do. You know, right now the buzzword in the industry is zero trust. Okay. But zero trust is a concept and people will just say, enable zero trust. Well, what part of zero trust? What, what, you know, people need to really understand that. What are new things that we can do with SOAR? You know, which is the security orchestration and, and, and response. Uh, what are things that we're doing with EDR and MDR and XDR? You know, what does that mean? And how can we do that? Um, so there's so many new technologies that we need to not only learn on the fly, but also put into a client environment. So putting it all together and, and figuring out how everything works together and seeing what things are hitting us. What are the, the threats and the malwares, the vulnerabilities that are coming out? And how do we defend against that? How do we protect against that? How do we show these things? How do we show the boards? How do we show the CEOs? Uh, you know, how do we do this in a more effective manner? In my comic book brain, it's like the strategist, right? So it's like, you, I, I envision you looking at like a board of like a map right? Almost like, like Game of Thrones or something. And it's like putting the pieces together. Perfect reason why, why I chose you. Uh, but one of the things that I also like is your forward thinking. Um, so wait a second, example, what you're saying is that I'm the Nick Fury of your team? Please. Yeah, that would, that would probably, that would probably be a, a very accurate. Like it would be the Nick Fury. Like you're, you put the pieces together, you see, you know, of, of the threats of the past and the threats of the future and the threats that we don't even know about. So yeah, that's actually 
perfect. <laughs> but um, need to get a patch. But in one, <laughs> um, but one of the things that you do, just like Nick Fury, you bring in people from all over, right? So if we're calling it the Defenders, but if we were like the Avengers, you would you would bring in people from you know from from this area or this area, which to me says diversity, and you have been on the forefront of you know fighting for diversity especially uh with with uh latinx uh so i guess the first thing we'll talk about is why that why now and how diversity can actually build better security well let me let me back it up before we go into the dei side of the house because diversity of thought is what i'm after here okay and as we talk and like nick fury does okay He's not, he doesn't have all the superpowers and I don't have all the superpowers. I don't know. Like my father says, I only know that I know nothing. Okay. So my job is not to know it all is to say, look, Davin, you are the API guy. I need you in this team. You know, I've got other people who are, you know, defer. You know, we've got other people who are sock experts. We have other people who are red teamers. I need to build that team, just like what you're doing with this program, building that team. So knowing who to bring in, just like Nick Fury brought all the different Avengers for their different skills and powers, that's what we do. So the first part of diversity is learning what things we need to apply to or what skills we need to apply to a different task. And that's where, that's, that's where my position is, is knowing how to assemble the correct teams to do a specific job. We have had kind of for the last 30 some years, whenever I go into a room and we've already talked about this in many different areas, we go into a room and we're kind of the only one of us, you know, for me, I'm originally from Puerto Rico for the first call it 15, 20 years of my career, usually I was the only Puerto Rican in the room, <laughs> you know, but what we need is diversity of thought. We all look at a problem a little bit different and we are going to be better as a security environment, as a corporate environment, if we have different diversity of thought. And that's one of the things that I you know, really bring on to teams. It doesn't matter if it's woman, man, trans, you know, LBGTQIA plus, 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 plus. Okay. Um, you know, we need to bring in diversity of sex, genders, Latinos, and all the different areas. And we're not saying that it needs to be all diverse. I mean, sorry, uh, minorities, we need a diversity, complete diversity. Absolutely. Oh, well, I mean, not to cut you off, but yeah, I mean, in order to have diversity of thought, there has to be a diverse, the diverse people. Correct. And it has to be a team, like, like we said, a team sport. The moment you exclude. Now you're person, doing the opposite. Now you're doing the opposite and you're not having that diversity of thought it's it it's basically become the same thing just on the other on side on the other side correct so 
Um, not not to cut you off, but you know, continue. Yeah. And 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 that's very important because last summer there come there was a report that came in, and it said that the diversity of in cybersecurity for um, the different ethnic backgrounds, and they came up with a number in the federal government, and only four percent of the pers- people in cybersecurity were Hispanic. 9% for black and BIPOC. And I looked at that report and I said, listen, you know, we have to do something about it. We have to bring in more of that diversity. Talking about, yeah, the diversity of thought, but in order to have the diversity of thought, you actually have to have a diverse team. But I think the issue, the other issue that really doesn't get talked about is that um, the people of diverse backgrounds might not necessarily know how to get into cybersecurity or where to begin, or they look at it like it's something that they are not qualified for. I know when I first started, I felt like I wasn't smart enough. Um, you know, for one reason or the other, I was made to feel like I wasn't smart enough. Um, but again, you being the forward thinker and bringing that together, you actually started uh, Raices Cyber, um, which would help alleviate that problem, you know, to, to, to bring up that number from 4% to, to, to more. So touch on that for a second. And again, talk about, you know, the changes that you're seeing and how something like a Raices will eventually lead to more people to build that diverse team. Yeah, definitely. So, um, like I said, after seeing those numbers and after having this thought for many, many years about how do we bring in more people of diverse backgrounds into the field of cybersecurity, I kind of locked myself in a room back in August of last year and I said, what can I do? And out of that weekend of you know self-identification and thought, um, we came up with Raices Cyber. And Raices is an organization that we created, uh, the Hispanic Association Cybersecurity, um, to bring in more Hispanic, Latino, Latinas, Latin, Latinx into the field of cybersecurity. And, uh, you know, we, we're trying to do that with education, mentoring, and support to both the people that are thinking about coming into cybersecurity and also the people that are in their early stages of cybersecurity. And the challenge is, just like you said, is that Hispanics, and I'm going to just take Hispanics for right now, but this actually works with a lot of different minority groups, is that we're not represented. We don't see the people that look like us in the field. And because of that, and because it looks like a field that's, you know, a, a bridge too far for us to get to. And what we need to do is we need to see ourselves represented in there. Having people like you, having people like me, having people like, you know, all our, all our, our groups of people that are out there showing that, listen, you know, yes, there is room for us here. So being able to bring that visibility to that, bringing telling the, the, the next generation of cyber defenders, that's my little hashtag, um, the next generation of cyber defenders, bringing them up, teaching them that it is, it is a great career field. 
and that we or that that cybersecurity is not a job. Cybersecurity is a career field. I try to say that in every single time that that somebody lets me, you know, sit in front of a mic. There's 50 or 60 different jobs. It's the same thing like saying healthcare. I want to learn healthcare. Well, guess what? What do you want to do? You want to be a doctor? You want to be a nurse? Do you want to be an x-ray tech? You want to be an EMT? You know, we all talk about cybersecurity. We need to start talking about cybersecurity the right way. And that's going to help all our different diverse groups to say, look, I want to be an EMT. For us, that's your incident responders, your blue teamers. Okay. I want to be that EMT. I want to be that police, that fire, that, that, that ambulance that comes in when something's happening. I want to be that, that doctor, the, the, the architect, you know, the, the person that helps build these things. And if we try to bring that up and educate people that there are, there's, there's place here for people that are non-technical security awareness, GRC at the beginning, you know, people who are, who are not completely technical. You don't have to be a hacker to be in cybersecurity. You don't have to be a, a defender to be, you know, to, to start in cybersecurity. You can start any which way you want. And we have that PR that we need to bring those teams in. So that's why we brought, we, we built uh, Raiza Cyber to show people that this is something that they can do and the help people bring and the disadvantaged people and be able to give them scholarships to work in, to, to educate themselves. And while they're there, have a community to support. And I thank you for being part of that community and helping support some of our young, young um, Hispanics that are coming up. And, you know, that's the other part is we always say Hispanic, Latinos, Latinas, Latinx, and our allies. So even though Raices is, you know, primarily for Hispanics, we've got people that are BIPOC. We have people that, you know, the black community, we have a very strong affiliation with Black Girls Hack, Tech Chicks, and other organizations out there that, you know, we all support each other. And that's the thing. Diversity of thought doesn't stay with Hispanics or blacks or whites or um, Asians. You know, we all need to get together and come together. It takes a village. It takes a village. For more information on Raisa Cyber, tell them how to find that information. Okay. You can go to our website at www.raisescyber.org. That's spelled R A I C E S. C Y B E R dot org. Go figure of the thing that I misspell is cyber. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Raices Cyber Org or on LinkedIn as well. Um, and, you know, also follow us on our YouTube channel, which, you know, is uh, um, Eric Ballardo Cyber. Okay. So let's. Um Let's not take off the thinking cap or the Nick Fury eye patch in your case. With all of your experience in cybersecurity, with from DFIR to CTI to SOC, analysts, everything, and with the advancement of attacks and the attacks happening more frequently, what do you think needs to change uh, from the defensive side of things to kind of keep up with, with these attacks and these vulnerabilities that are literally coming out? weekly at this point 
Well, like we say in cyber, um, it's people, places, and technologies. Okay, so there is a lot of things that need to change. Um, one on the education front, um, there are hundreds of trainings for red teaming, penetration testing, and all that stuff, and a few um, blue team. You know, there's two major ones that I always say go do. You know, we have a good friend of ours that has an amazing, you know, security operations training um, school um, that I swear by. And then we have the blue team um, over in the UK that has a great education background. But it's not common. It's not a common thing. Nobody talks about, well, I've got this cert in blue, you know, everybody wants to put the letters for red. Um, so we have to increase when it comes to training and letting people know that it is an entry point into cybersecurity. Being a SOC analyst, being a level one SOC analyst is to me one of the best way to get into cybersecurity being able to start learning, being able to be in a SOC and learning all the different technologies. I think that's a very important thing. So that's the places. And then the technology. So because there's so much happening, the other field that is very, very short on people is this cyber threat intelligence. The people, the hunters, both the ones that are hunting internally and the ones that are hunting externally. And that's, you know, cyber hunt versus cyber threat. And that right there is, is a topic that I think that's an area where people don't understand the differences, the outward looking versus the inward looking. And being able to have that, call it over the horizon intelligence or follow the sun intelligence, to be able to alert the people as it's coming. We don't have a lot of that right now. We have a lot of companies that are providing that information, but when it hits our companies, we don't have anybody to analyze that data. We have the streams coming in. We have the IOCs coming into all our tools, but that analysis, that, that, that human element of being able to do and say to our people, this is coming. Lock4j is coming. We've got six hours to prepare. Okay. It's going to start hitting us or here it's starting to hit over here. Let's make sure we're okay. We need to look at more of that information. How do we filter that information? How do we make, and here's the, here's the crux of that. How do we make intelligence actionable? What is it that we have to do? Tell me, yes, we have a vulnerability. Lock4j is coming. Lock4j is coming. Okay, fine. What do I have to do? Where do I have to look? What do I have to, what, what is my incident response to that threat? Not just having an incident response plan that says, yeah, first I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. That's great. If this, then that. Yeah, you have that. But tell me, we have a threat that's coming in that looks like this. You know, we have a great thing. Everybody's talking about the attack framework, but, um, our good friend Peter K just admired just came up with the defend framework. Okay, so it's the companion to attack. 
And it's part of the monitor framework. So I encourage everybody to look at that because it says, if you're going through this attack framework, you know, vector, what do I do? What is it that I do? What is what are the steps that I need to do to 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 at least look at that? So that's a great start to that. But having people to understand the 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 attack framework and then how does it match with the defend framework and then how do I match it to my incident response framework? That's the crux of how we're going to start working and putting these things together and putting the, putting our our Nick Fury teams out there to say. There's, you know, like Lock4J, you know, we needed there people like you, application security people, API and, and, and software developers. So let's assemble a team that's going to be better for that particular vulnerability. If you were to present this to them right now and say that we needed to implement something within the next 72 hours, but it's actionable and it's... You know, it doesn't it doesn't affect the budget real quick uh, that, you know, it doesn't affect the budget that much. Um, and it's something that could be a quote unquote quick win. Uh, what would you recommend? It could be something that's fairly simple, simple to implement, but it could also make a huge difference. What, 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 what would be the thing you would recommend to go for go with first? Well, here's here's the thing that it depends. And look, I use the consultant word. It depends. Um, but the, it depends on the level of the, of, or the size of the company and the area or, you know, are they healthcare? Are they, um, you know, which sector they are and then how mature they are because we do find companies that, well, they, they have, you know, outsourced their MSSP and they only have, you know, you talk about a hospital, a local community hospital that has one IT person or one, one security person or something like that for the entire hospital. You know, so you've, you've got those levels of maturity, but then you have, you know, corporate entities that have 12, 20 security personnel in their, in their staff. So the question, the, the, the short answer is, you know, you need to start with a person that sees on the blue side all the things that are happening. Okay. Not that, not just that director that's managing the people. You want somebody who is um, the beginnings, and this is what I've been telling a lot of people um, the beginnings of a cyber fusion center. Okay. And a cyber fusion center, the, the, Definition of that is like we had in the military, in the army, the the 96 Bravo, the Intel analyst, the all-source Intel analyst. It's the person that receives everything and puts together a course of action or puts together, sees where everything is. Because what happens is a lot of times when we start doing our basics, we do our vulnerability management over here. We do our SOC over here. We do our network security or firewalls over here. We do our endpoint security and AV over here. So each area sees what's happening, but who's putting all the intelligence together? So my first recommendation to them is to put together that first step of a cyber fusion or an all source analysis to be able to say vulnerability here, threat here, Things are here. This looks like 
blah, okay? Or this looks like this threat, or this looks like that. And each one has their own single pane of glass tool, but there's no single pane of glass tool other than some of the new ones that are coming up that are putting all the information into one, one view and putting all that stuff. We used to think that it was the SIM that was going to do that, um, to co collect all the logs and be able to give us a, a, a one thing. But now we have other tools. What's happening in IDEM? What's happening in the AD? What's happening in your cloud environment? What's happening in different environments? So, you know, how are we seeing how all this stuff is going? And so having the start of a cyber fusion or an all source cell that brings all that information, analyzes that information and puts it together, that's going to give you a really bang for your buck. And it could be just be one person at the beginning and then measure how much information they're doing. And then as you're growing, you add another person and you add another person. And there you start building up your cyber fusion center. And a cyber fusion is not a SOC. Your cyber fusion is an analysis cell. The SOC still needs to be there to look at events, look at, look at incidents and things of that nature. But the cyber fusions where you merge the information from your threat and vulnerability management and your um, risk management and your SOC and your, you know, the different teams. So um, I'm going to counter that recommendation with a recommendation of my own. Uh, first, call Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Second, contact upticks. There you go. Yeah, yeah, and and that 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 tool um, does that. It brings a lot of the information and it puts it into an analytical point where you can actually see what's happening across your env environment. That's kind of what you need, but you need an analyst to look at that and and take that information. And say, so I'll say that no tool can supplant the knowledge of the business. So that is why you need a man, uh, a person in the middle, pardon me, person in the middle where you see how everything's working, but you need to say, how does this impact my HR department? How does this impact my fan finance department? How does this impact my cloud? You know, what is it doing to my applications? And yes, you can see all the information, all the compliance, all the things in there, but how does that translate to the human skills element? If you were managing a team, a, a team of all new defenders, all new blue teamers, um, what would be a piece of advice you would share with them um, as they embark on this world <laughs> of of constant, you know, threats and, and attacks? Well, as you know, that's how I got my moniker of Cyber Papa, because yeah. um, I built a sock for a company that we went from five experienced people to over 100 sock analysts um, in a little over two years. And the way we did it was, and it was very interesting, and please, if you're out there trying to build a team, copy this. This is, this is not copyrighted. So what we started was with interns. We had interns come in for six weeks and we taught him how to use the tools and how, what it is that they needed. And then we turned them into part-timers. And as we were growing them for that year, we went from level one to level two. 
and put them to do more stuff. So at the end of it, we had a full-fledged uh, 24 by 7 sock in two locations. And, you know, it was a great, great um, experiment and learning experience for that company because everybody we brought were at the internship level. And within two years, we had that many SOC analysts. So going back to your original question is, what do I tell them? Be curious. There is nobody, and I will say this with certainty, I don't care if you've been in the industry for 30 years looking at a SIM every day, there are, there are hundreds of thousands of vulnerabilities out there. We don't have them all memorized. Just like we don't have every single way that we program memorized or how you do a, you know, I still find myself looking at my end map, you know, cheat sheet because it's nmap dash vv dash, you know, you know, so I still look at that and I can look at the background of, uh, of Davin's uh, there and he's got cheat sheets on the wall. So oh, absolutely. <laughs> the one thing that I tell them is don't fear opening Google. Don't fear looking, researching, learning for yourself because you're going to be doing that every time and all through your career. Instilling that curiosity, that passion for learning, that passion for researching, that passion for asking, you know, I know that I ask you questions all the time. You know, I ask uh, other peers all the time when I don't know something that's outside my scope. I need to be able to ask. So asking questions is not weakness. Not knowing something is not weakness. And what I try to tell them is I try to tell them that early on because Early on, they feel like, oh, I can't ask a question because they'll kick me out of here. Or, you know, imposter syndrome. I don't know this. I don't know that. Well, guess what? You know, ask questions. Learn. We all, we don't know it all. So let's go ahead and ask that question. So that's what I impart very early on to all the, the folks that we hire and we support. No, I, I agree 100% on, on multiple uh, aspects of what you just said for one. Yeah. No one knows the answer to everything. Yeah. I have a cheat sheet. I have a cheat sheet here, um, but I have notes. I have whiteboards. I have, I write my own stuff, my, my own cheat sheets. Um, and, you're and your blog and your blog. Yeah. And I have, yes. And I have a blog, which essentially is a cheat sheet in itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're not going to know every single vulnerability on the defensive side, just like how we're not going to know every vulnerability on, on the offensive side. Right. Um, and that comes with practice. That comes with labbing. That comes with experience. But even in, even in having that gut feeling, you still need to go to Google to confirm it. You still need to go to your resources. So yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't be afraid to weaponize your research. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. You know, there's no such, especially in this field, there's no such thing as a dumb question because that question could essentially save a network, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, worst case scenario, you don't ask that question because you had a gut feeling about it, but you said, I don't want to ask a question. I don't want it to come off like it's a stupid question, but that stupid question never gets answered. You never know how to implement it. And that leaves some type of gaping security. Hole. Oh, I've, I've seen, I've seen young, young one month in the sock person come over and ask, you know, Hey, this doesn't look right. 
and then you see three or four, you know, level twos and level three looking at that and going, holy, holy, you found something there. And then you see a team. And it was because somebody asked a question. And that's very important that you keep vigilant, you keep learning, you keep unquestioning. Question yourself and question what you're seeing. So in all your years of experience, I'm sure you've heard many misconceptions with blue team, like we talked about earlier with, you know, blue teams not patching and stuff like that. If you had the ability and the platform to to address one misconception, to correct to correct the naysayers, what would it, what would it be? On the blue team side is that it is a good time or a good area to start your career. It is a very good area to start your career. That's one part. Um, knowing the different areas of blue, security operations, um, development, uh, security development, uh, sec DevOps, um, secure networking, learning technologies. It is a great way to start your career. And you don't have to know everything to come in there. There are many programs for internships and level one and different things like that on the blue side. Now for the public, the blue side, um, they're, they're not the cops. They're not the internet cops. We're not the ones that say you can't do this. Um, we identify things and try to remediate things. Um, but one of the biggest misconceptions, well, one of the biggest truths is, on the other side, is that the hackers have to be right one time. The blue team needs to be right 100% of the time. So it's a very challenging environment to be because we need to be able to identify, elevate, and try to contain the things that are happening. So it's a, it's a challenging area. But... It is a wonderful area, and I've been in it for, like I said, you know, t- you know, more than a quarter century there doing blue, and it is an area that's always changing, always evolving. There's something new. If you do, want, do not want to be pigeonholed to do a job day in, day out, it's an area where if you look at things and you start researching things and you start looking, you are going to see... You're going to be the first person to see the things that are coming. You're going to be the first person to identify something. You're going to be the first person to look at, you know, such amazing things. And so it's a wonderful area to be in. It's a wonderful area to start your career. Hacking is great. Uh, Learning how to hack, learning how to do penetration testing is great uh, and fun. But, you know, a lot of people, you know, gravitate because it's the sexy part. But one of the areas that is kind of the inside, the threat, the all the new stuff, that's that's in the blue side, you know? So don't fear the blue. <laughs> <laughs> great answer. Great answer. Any final words? No, I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank uh, Hacker Valley for having me here. I want to thank Uptix for sponsoring this. Um, definitely a good look at their tool. Um, please continue this this series. This is very important. Building your team, building your team both for diversity and for operations. It's very important to build a team that works together, that has diversity of thought, and that has diverse skill sets. 
And then also be open, be mature to op- to listen to the different diverse thoughts. As Nick Fury does, he listens to all the different Avengers and comes up with a plan. He doesn't do it alone. And that's what a good leader does. And that's what a good crafty ver- veteran does is know what your skills are, know what your team's skills are, and lead. Let them let them lead. Let them go. And you're going to be more successful if you learn that. A leader says go. Sorry. A leader says let's go. A boss says you guys go. So, you know, lead from the front. Let the build your team. You're going to be successful. And I'm glad I found my I'm glad I found my Nick Fury. So Eric Bellardo, as always, sir, it is a pleasure. Thank you for being on. Thank you for sharing your experience with everybody. Um, we will definitely be in contact soon. Again, uh, if you want to follow, go follow uh, Eric Bellardo Cyber on YouTube, uh, Raices.org, and go check him out. Again, special thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you to our sponsor, Upticks, for you know providing a great platform and a, providing a great tool to, to to talk about. I will see you all next time with the next member of my Defender team. So everybody take care, and I will see you later. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacker Valley Blue. If you did, please remember to like it, subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends and colleagues and family members, get it all out there and make sure you tune in for the next episode. Also remember to join our Discord server and you can talk to me and some of the other Hacker Valley family. So make sure you go check us out over there too. 